Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Well, my name is Philip Steele. I'm the missions pastor, and today is Missions Wednesday. <laughs> As always, anytime I get to do anything, it's going to be missions. I'm going to unload some of this stuff here. I got my water. I do have a drone here in case you're wondering. We'll pull that out in a little bit. We are going to kind of, in a sense, fly with this drone. First, we're going to fly to India. And see what the Lord is doing. It's got a little camera on there, I think. Probably got two camera bunch of this is a nice you can feel it. This is a nice one. But we do have good things happening. I saw on that giving kind of screen that was up there with the different ways, and it said, Your giving is reaching a city to touch the world, which kind of is kind of our mission. But I'm hoping that we have some pictures. This is uh, earlier this month, our church, I say our church, is like our church in Dixon, our church in India with Pastor Kevin Manessis. They had a special retreat with about 80 people. 40 of those people were from the city of Mumbai. And then 40 people were from, I think, 14 different cities. And when we talk about reaching India a country of, I think, 1.4 billion people in so many different languages, so many different cultures as well. And so what Pastor Kevin is doing there is not a, a small thing. When you talk about, you know, having a, a, a retreat with 80 people, 14 different cities represented, you know, it's a big deal. And, and like I say, the different cultures, the different languages, 1.4 billion people, that's like four times the size of the United States. It's just, and, and so they're doing everything they can. And just to thank the Bethel family, thank for everybody watching online. Your generosity is reaching a city to touch the world. Now, I think there were some other, other pictures as well. They're getting ready to start a new church plant in Bang, Bangalore. I think I'm saying that right, but they're having had a strategy meeting just recently within the last week or so. You know, so they're going to start reaching out just like we're reaching out, strategizing for Dixon and strategizing for Columbia, Spring Hill as well. They're strategizing for other cities as well. And so that's, you know, that's our drone going way out there. And then it can bring us back some pictures. We've got those pictures. And we're also doing stuff here in the United States. About a year and a half ago, Pastor James and at the year and a half ago. So you think the pandemic, we're not done with the pandemic yet. Finances are like, who knows what's going to happen? Where are we going to land? But Pastor James took a step of faith and started supporting financially 10 new church plants here in the U.S. India is a great mission field. How many of you know the United States needs missions, needs the gospel as well? And so those are some of the different cities where we are reaching people, we're planting churches in those cities. One of those cities, Lexington, Kentucky, actually our pastor JT, our men's pastor, started driving up there. It's about a five or six hour drive, I think. Every week in 2008, they were going up there every week to do the Purple Book, basically. And now we have an official church plant, Pastor Aaron Rooks is... They just had their receiving of people at the University of Kentucky, 6,000 new students. And, you know, we do want to reach the students. 
You know, that's an area that God has given us as a stewardship. I know other churches would have stewardship to, you know, to reach the orphans, to reach, you know, whoever. And we do want to reach everybody, but specifically we want to reach those future leaders, tomorrow's doctors, lawyers, congressmen, politicians, teachers, if we can reach them while they're open to the gospel, especially when I think about 6,000 freshmen coming in. And so they helped out with, you know, the move-ins and just kind of alleviating the pressure of the parents. They move their, you know, so just to be able to help out. And we do have like a one-minute video, a thank you video from Pastor Aaron. If we could show that and you'll see what we're doing as a church. University of Kentucky helping our college students move back in and meeting new students. Uh, we are excited as we enter into a new semester on the universities. Um, so please be praying for us as we engage students here at the University of Kentucky. We've met some new students, made a lot of new connections. So these next few weeks we'll be engaging students with some of our hangouts. Our campus missionary will be engaging with students, meeting with them for coffee and lunch and inviting them to church and getting them to come to our Sunday night family events where we're going to be having dinners and stuff like that for the students. So things are going well. Our family is well. Continue to pray for our children, specifically Grayson when it comes to his health, um, with his allergies and asthma. And we're asking for believing for healing with that. Um, but other than that, this has been an exciting, exciting time as we enter into the month of August. So we can't say thank you enough for your partnership. Because of you, we get to do this full time, reaching the campus and the community. God bless. Amen. Let's take a moment. Let's just pray. We'll pray for both the Kentucky Lexington and the India. Father, we do thank you that we can participate in what you're doing around the world. I pray for Pastor Kevin, that your grace, your strength, your mercy would be upon him, the creativity. We thank you for the 80 people that went to that, that camp. We thank you for the new church plant as well. We pray for your finances, your provision, new labors there in India. God, I pray that there would be a clear word that would be sent forth. We pray also for Pastor Aaron in Lexington. God, even those new contacts that they might be having during this time of receiving new students, we pray that you would prepare the hearts of those new students, God, and that your word would go forth rapidly, would be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And once again, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your prayers. We can keep them in our prayers as well. Amen. So I've got this drone here. So we're going to look at Acts 9.31. We're going to start there and we're going to kind of, you know, go around and get a close-up view and a, a broad view of the book of Acts and, you know, go back into the book of Acts a little bit more from different angles. So I just kind of always wanted to have one of these. This is a real one. I had a little toy one. I say toy. It's like a $40, $40 one, a mini drone. And I flew it up in my neighborhood, and then it's like it got beyond the range, and I lost it. The wind took it. And every time I go walking, uh, it's been several years, I still kind of look and wonder if it's up there in the tree. Well, that one's just lost forever. Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so that's what we're hoping for with our church, you know, throughout Middle Tennessee, throughout Tennessee, throughout a broader range. And this particular scripture is, is one of several that's kind of a mile marker in the book of Acts. If we can imagine this drone 
being just lifted up and, and looking over the book of Acts and looking at that outline for it, because this scripture is like a parallel scripture in different places where you can see there's, there's almost a, a moment of tension in the church and then something happens. The people of God, God himself, there's a collaboration between God and the people of God, a step of faith that they might take. And then we get a scripture that's about like this. So we've got a bunch, and I'm not sure if they're going to appear here on this front screen, on the side screen. We're trying to do something new here. If we can bring up some of those scriptures, just kind of outlining the book of Acts. <clears throat> There's different conflicts. One of the conflicts in chapter 6 was where the, um, the widows were being overlooked and the daily distribution of food. They were given food, and then all of a sudden, it'd be like, okay, we're going to give to this ethnic group, but we're not going to give to this ethnic group. How many of you know that would cause tension? You know, we were supposed to be one in Christ, and, you know, we could put it into our context. You know, so you've got to really look and see in the Scriptures, there's going to be like a point of tension, and then there might be some resolution to that tension. And then the seven, what we call now, we call them the seven deacons. You know, you've got Philip, you've got Stephen and Nicanor and some other guys that were named and they were going to take care of the, of the um, distribution of the food. Okay, so here we go. So then here we have it. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So that's a, like a parallel scripture to this, this Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, if you look at the context, you know, flying the drone really high, looking at the book of Acts, you look at the book of Acts and you've got this persecution really started in Acts 8.1, where they were, all, they were persecuted, they were all scattered, and then it continues in Acts 9, even as, as Saul was persecuting the church, dragging people off to jail, and then you've got God, we'll look at a little bit more. There's an intervention. We'll look at that one. And then we've got the verse that we're going to come back to. The church throughout Judea and Galilee, Samaria had peace, was being built up. That's that kind of parallel outline, mile marker in the book of Acts. If you look at the book of Acts, you can outline it in different ways. Some people would outline it. The first 12 chapters, that's the life of Peter. The last 13 and beyond is the life of Paul. So there's different ways you can outline. I'm just outlining it by this parallel passage here. And the next one would be in Acts chapter 12, where again, you've got, so you've got James's death. You've got Peter's deliverance and Herod's death. That's the, there's this crisis. Church is praying. Peter's delivered. Herod ends up dying, and then what happens to the church? But the word of God increased and multiplied. And so that's just kind of the life of the church. As we walk with Christ, it seems like there's conflict, there's tension. Some of it is external, some of it is internal. There's a persecution. The first one I mentioned was persecution from Saul, a religious leader, and now you've got persecution from a governmental leader, Herod, but then there's prayer, God intervenes, and then the church is growing again. And then we've got, in Acts 15, we've got a conflict again. We've got the, what we now call the Jerusalem Council, where they have to decide, okay, these new believers that are coming to Christ, do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to keep the, the Mosaic law? Do they have to keep all those ceremonies? 
or can they just receive Jesus? A very important counsel. And so they decide that we're saved by faith, but, you know, try to avoid fornication, avoid blood sacrifice, and all those kind of things, idolatry. And then it says in Acts chapter 16, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. They increased in numbers daily. And again, that's, that's like that, that mile marker again. And another one that I saw, and I probably missed some too, because you know how you read the scripture and then all of a sudden it pops out at you? <laughs> so, I, so about an hour and a half ago, I was in my Spanish purple book group and I had one of those kind of pop out at me. Oh, man, I missed that. There's not time to send it to these guys. We should have put that in there. So if you read it, you might find some other ones. Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus and he finds some disciples. He asks them, have you received the Holy Spirit? They say no. He prays for them. They speak in tongues. They prophesy. And then he preaches the word. He gets this discipleship school going. And there's, there's a riot because people are not having all their financial because they made silver idols and their finances. And so there's a riot. But in the midst of that, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So again, that, that parallel passage, that kind of that mile marker, it just helps us to understand where we might be in the book of Acts. And again, I'm, I'm kind of flying the drone like real high over the book of Acts. And now if we could, we're, we're going to lower the drone a little bit and we're going to get a little bit, we're going to get a little bit closer. We'll go back to this Acts 9.31. If we could just go back to that one. That's the one that we're going to see. This church is, is growing so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So if we just take a minute and we're going to drop the drone real close to this verse. These little things got cameras on them. It's still like got a triple like gimbal axis, you know, it can move all around. So we're going to look at this verse here a little bit. When it says the church, that word church caught my attention because it says the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria. That's a pretty big stretch of land. And I noticed it didn't say the churches. The church in that whole land. You know, so it's a different mentality. A lot of times we think, well, we got Bethel Church, we got Grace Church, Cross Point Church, Brentwood Baptist, all these different churches. Some people say 1,000 or 1,400 churches in Nashville. And who knows how many different churches, you know, what we would say churches of locations, you know, because obviously Jerusalem, Philip had gone up to Samaria, and then he was taken in the Spirit and taken to another, and he preached, and so there were gatherings of believers, but... Here the scripture, the church. And I look at what we did on Sunday with our Unite Walk. We went down to downtown and we prayed. And I say we, Pastor James, you know, one of the leaders, you know, the initiator maybe, but there were other pastors, there were other churches. This is some, a picture here of our Sunday gathering. I mean, there's probably better pictures. Some people say maybe 250, 300 people. You can see several of the pastors here up there and, you know, representing their churches. But I think when Jesus looks down, he sees the church, one church. 
You know, I know we have expressions in our context, and you, you should be committed to a local church, but there's a capital C church that was being built up. And then when we talk, if we go back to that phrase, being built up, the church was being built up. And I would hope that the church, our church as well, would be built up. And the scripture that I have, I really like the scripture. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I don't know if we have that. I guess we've got that. Let me see if I can just say it without even looking at it. For he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors and teachers, so that they should do all the work. Everybody else should just sit in the pews and watch them and criticize them and the pastors and everybody gets all tired. Somebody said No. That's not what it, wait a minute, wait a minute. He gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Wait a minute, to equip the saints. That's what the word says, but is that what we're living? You know, I was messing with you when I said that. He gave some to be apostles so that they should do all the work. And we're in such a spectator society. You know, it's football season coming up, and you had 60,000, 80,000 fans watching these super athletes. And then how many knows how many millions of people watching on TV, and we're in this spectator. You go to the movies, it's spectator. you go to concerts, spectator. And then we come to church with that spectator, and then I'm just going to watch. Oh, yeah, we're in Nashville. we got these great musicians. I'll just watch them. Oh, they missed a note. No, that's not the purpose of what they do. There's, they're, they're leading us, and the worship team is the whole congregation worshiping the Lord. This is not a spectator thing. And even, you know, if I have one of these, a microphone, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, I'm the missions pastor, so when I go out on a mission trip, what I'll be doing, pray for me. I'm going out on a mission trip. What am I doing? I'm going to be equipping the saints for the work of ministry so that the church will be built up. The church in this sense was being built up. That's what, that was what we're trying to do. The worship team, they're there to gather us and have us join together so we're all one choir before the Lord and worshiping him. This is not a spectator church being built up. How was it being built up? It was being built up in the fear of the Lord. Which that's the thing that's like, wait a minute, what's this fear of the Lord? How does that work? We got some scriptures here to kind of help us to define. And I know that fear, you know, Pastor Rice Brooks, our overseeing bishop, overseeing pastor, he always says there's two kinds of fear, like two kinds of cholesterol, good fear, good. And so, you know, I know during the pandemic, there was a big fear push from the media. Fear, 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 cases, COVID cases, and new strands, and fear, and fear, and fear. That's not the fear that we're talking about, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So it's not being afraid of a coming economic crisis, being afraid of the disease that you've never heard of, but then the expert tells you that you need to be afraid, and they're trying to control us through that fear. But there's, there is a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. I, I need to hate that stuff. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil. There's no other scriptures that we have about the fear of the Lord, if we just continue to scroll through those. The fear, and do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body 
in hell. It's a seeing beyond even this life, seeing into the beyond, into the you know the streets of gold, and being able to see the the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Do not fear those. Uh, what about this one? Acts five. That's when Ananias. He sold a property, and then he told the apostle Peter, he said, I sold it for so much. And Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied to men, but to God. And the dude fell dead right there. And then it says, and then it says, and Ananias heard these words. He fell down, breathed at last. Great fear came upon all those who heard it. Now, I'm not asking for that kind of level of holiness and, you know, just a small little, I think we would all might be wiped out, you know, but... But I wonder if we don't need a little more of the fear of the Lord. That hatred of evil, that recognizing that he's here amongst us, that even a fear to speak evil of another brother or sister. Lord, put a guard on our mouth. Or the, the last one I've got, <coughs> the revelation. I turned and I see the voice that was speaking to me. I'm turning. I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of this is John the revelator, he's on the island of Patmos, and he's seeing Jesus in all his glory. In the midst of the lamb stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow, his eyes like flames of fire. This is not the Jesus, you know, I know Jesus is a good shepherd, and let all the children come to me. This is Jesus, resurrected Jesus in his glory. At his feet were like burnished bronze refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its full strength. We can't even look at the sun to look at Jesus in the face like the sun Lord, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's the fear of the Lord. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. When we start with that fear of the Lord, of seeing him in his glory, and then we hear his voice, fear not. I am the first and the last. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And he died for us. And he rose again. And he's for us and not against us. You know, that, that, that church in Acts 9.31, they had the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But I didn't want to get to the comfort of the Holy Spirit before talking about the fear of the Lord. Because if it's just the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it's like we can do whatever we want to do, and he's going to comfort us and even comfort us and, you know, go in our own way. You know, his, his comfort is come here with me. Come here with me. Let's look at Corinthians here on this one. We've got another verse on the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it is a comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the great Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. You know, and there might be people here that you do need comfort. You're watching online and you need comfort. Been going through a difficult time, maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe the loss of a job, maybe a you know, broken relationship with a son, with a daughter, with a parent, with a sibling. And say, so, you know, there are moments where we need comfort. You know, it's not just the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it's not just the fear of the Lord. It's you know, there's truth and there's grace. 
fear of the Lord, that's the truth. The comfort of the Holy Spirit, that's the, that's the grace. Comforts us in all of our affliction. So we're not denying that we do have affliction. But then there's a so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So as you receive, as I receive comfort of the Holy Spirit, it's not just for me to be comfortable. It's so that I could give that out to others as well. If we're going to live, you know, in this growing community, if we're going to continue, you know, we are family. Pastor Bryson mentioned that it's not just a month, but hopefully we can continue receiving the comfort of the Holy Spirit, imparting that comfort to other people. Amen. So that's, that's this drone, you know, real close to that verse, Acts 9, 31. Now let's lift up the drone a little bit more into Acts 9 and just see some characteristics of that Acts 9, 31 church. If you look in the context, it's maybe just a little lesson in Bible study here because you've got to look at the whole book you go down deep into the verse, and then you, go, you lift up a little bit, and you look at the chapter around that. And I see some characteristics of this Acts 9.31 church that I'd like to... Can I share that with you? Just share my bread with you? Okay, some characteristics. I've got four or five characteristics. First of all, we've got an active Savior. How many of you know that without Jesus being active in the church, we really don't have a church? Jesus being active in your life. I mentioned that in these different passages, it's like there's a crisis and then there's, a, there's an intervention from God. And if you're going through a crisis, let's believe God together for that intervention. It's an active Savior. In this case, the, the, the crisis was Saul persecuting the church. The active Savior, who he's active in our lives as well, as Saul was going towards Damascus and, of course, he saw a vision. We, you know, we could look at the scripture. I'll just kind of paraphrase it. <clears throat> Many of you know what happened. But basically, Jesus revealed himself to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Go into the city, and it will be told you what you're supposed to do. You know, so, and I think the rest of the church was kind of all in a corner and just afraid and everything. And we can be like that sometimes. But how, have you, how many of you know Jesus can intervene in those, those moments? Amen. And so here we've got the whole, we'll just go on to the next one, some characteristics. This is the God part. Active Savior, which we need that. I want to start with that. Active Savior. He is active with us. The second part, we've got, a, we've got an obedient disciple. His name is Ananias. It's not the same Ananias that passed away when he lied to the Holy Spirit. But this other Ananias in Acts chapter 9, what happens is, is the Lord appears to him and says, Ananias, I want you to go to this street. I want you to, to go in and pray for Saul. He's seen in a vision somebody named Ananias come and pray for him. And Ananias kind of backs up the first time. You can read it there. And he says, but Lord, he's come here and he's going to kill us all. And Jesus is, Jesus is active. And he tells Ananias, no, he's my chosen instrument. I'm going to show him how much he's got to suffer for my namesake. And Ananias goes in. I'm kind of paraphrasing. You can read it there. You can read it on your Bible as well. Ananias goes in. The first thing he says, if you really think about it, it can blow your mind when he says, Brother Saul. That was a big step of faith. Even to go in was a step of faith. 
He did not know if he was going to come out alive. He had to trust the voice of the Lord and just be obedient. Have to trust the voice of the Lord more than the previous history of what this dude has done. And I believe God is going to give us people that, you know, they might come from questionable backgrounds, whatever it might be. But we as a church need to have the largeness of heart to be able to see as God sees. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me here to pray for you that you might receive your sight. So that's an, that's an obedient disciple. That's a characteristic of this kind of church. The other one that I see is an immediate evangelism. And again, you'll see the scripture up here, but let me just paraphrase it. Basically, what it says is that Saul immediately started to reach people for Christ. And people were freaking out. They were saying, isn't he the guy that was coming here to kill us all? How is it that he's now preaching this faith that he was opposing? And it says Saul even more grew strong in the Lord and he was refuting the Jews and he was preaching. I'm doing all right on this one, aren't I? The paraphrase, it's not like that one that I messed up on purpose. I'm doing all right now. <laughs> Am I doing all right? <laughs> and so he immediately started to evangelize. He was proving that Jesus was the Christ. And one thing that we need to keep in mind is that we all need to be active in evangelism. Now, I know there's different people with different giftings, different personalities. There are some that are in the ministry, the office of the evangelist, and it seems like they win people all the time. But we can all be involved in the Great Commission. And you don't need to have six years of seminary training to start. I mentioned it on a Sunday a few, few weeks ago. In the Christian life, what we do is we receive and then we give. We're walking. We receive with one and, and then we give out. We receive and we give. If all we're doing, now watch this. If all we're doing is receiving, I'm receiving on Wednesday night. I'm receiving in the School of Discipleship. I'm receiving in the new class. I'm receiving, I'm receiving. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm getting dizzy. Now, the same is true of the other way. If all I'm doing is giving out, I'm 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 giving out, never, never receiving. And so, yes, we do need to receive, but then also give. You know, and some of you, you need to, you need to, rece you need to increase your receiving level. It's almost like athletes. If you might, the one that comes to mind is Michael Phelps, the swimmer. Now, I think when he was at his prime of swimming and everything and working out and all the gold medals, he's probably eating about 6,000 calories a day because he's, you know, the energy and, and the workout, the physical. You know, if we're going to be giving out, then, yeah, we do need to receive. You need to get into the Bible, listen to the Bible as you're driving, whatever it might be. Make sure that you're your calorie intake is such that you can, it's like if you're outside in the hot, you need to watch your water intake. Don't get dehydrated. You see what I'm saying? And so we need, to, we need to do evangelism. Don't wait till you're receiving, receiving, until you know everything, because then you'll never be able to, you'll never be perfectly sanctified before you can, don't, go, don't put that on yourself. Wherever you are, you can give out. If the Apostle Paul now we call him the Apostle Paul, but he started by giving where he was, okay? That's another characteristic of this 
Acts 9.31 church. The next one that I see is a mutual care. It turns out that Paul is preaching, and of course there's persecution. There's another crisis there. There's other people they want to kill Paul. And so they're watching daily at the, at the gate to see because they, they're going to kill him. They're going to take him out. And what it says is there, the interesting little phrase is some of Paul, Saul's disciples. So here he had been preaching. He had won some people to the Lord. And then those people were watching out for him. You know, some people might complain, well, I don't have anybody that's watching out for me. Well, have you given, have you invested, like the Apostle Paul, he invested into these guys, and then they were watching out. They lowered him in a basket. Remember the story? I think it's, it's probably up there. <clears throat> okay, so I'm kind of paraphrasing now, but there's a mutual care. That's the idea with our life groups, that we care for one another. We pray for one another. You encourage one another. And don't wait for somebody to come and, and, well, I want to care for you. If you take a step of faith and if you give out, show interest in other people, you'll see that that will come back to you. If you sow in relationship, you'll see that that will come back to you. Amen? And then the last one that I see on this one, I learned this actually from Pastor Dave. He uses a phrase that I've kind of latched onto. It's called descriptive affirmation. And this is when... You know, they send Saul to, like, he's supposed to go to Jerusalem. He tries to go to Jerusalem, but nobody wants to receive him because they don't believe that he's really a brother. They think, hey, man, we can't receive him. And so Barnabas, Barnabas goes and he gives a description of what really happened, how the Lord had spoken to him, how he had seen a vision, how the Lord had spoken to him. Okay, so, and so, and I think we need that. We don't need, just need, you know, we don't just need, hey, that was a great message, champ. I mean, that's encouraging, but it really doesn't help. You know, when there's, when there's a, you're actually describing and you're affirming. And, and Pastor Dave puts it this way, that we need about three descriptive affirmations for every one um, constructive suggestion not a critique, not just that's terrible, but hey, listen, I think you could do better with this. If you did this, that's a suggestion. You're suggesting, you're pushing them towards greatness. So I'm not saying we just always descriptive affirmation and never point out how somebody could be better, but I think we need this kind of uh, uh, even mutual descriptive affirmation in our marriages with our children, especially lift them up. Don't just tell them what they're doing wrong. You'll exasperate them. You'll cause them to just, they just give up hope. Amen. So that's kind of what I see, you know, and these, these characteristics, I see this active savior. Let's not lose sight of that. These obedient disciples, we've got an immediate evangelism and then we've got mutual care, descriptive affirmation. So, you know, with these drones, you know, just got the camera on here. And, uh, you know, now with this camera, this drone, I think it'll go. Just a minute. Let me see this. So he's got this camera, and see, now the camera, it should come on to us. Anytime we read the word, we should let that word come on to us. Let that camera 
come on to us. And I don't know if that's going to work. But I know the Holy Spirit has got a camera on our lives. How are we doing? We'll start with the active Savior that went into Saul's life. And I don't want to just blow over. Look at that. That camera just coming at me. I bet he's watching everything I'm doing. Watching everything I'm doing. And God is watching everything you're doing, that I'm doing. My, my, my. I know people are freaking out here. At least you've seen church, man. They had a drone. They had it going. You better turn that thing off, otherwise I'm going to want to buy one of those. <laughs> we'll just land that right there. There we go. <clears throat> Thank you, Robert. I was dreaming. We were, I, was, I was dreaming. Maybe it was more of a fantasy. I was hoping that it was beyond. It was like hope beyond hope. I was hoping that he could get the camera and then put the camera up onto the screen. But that's a little complicated beyond our complication ability. But, you know, God does have, you know, a divine camera. He's watching everything we do. And I do believe he wants to be active in our lives, active Savior. You know, and, you know, as we kind of make fun of the drone and everything like that, and we have a good time and everything like that, we can do that. I think we can do that. I don't think Christianity has to be boring. But I do think that Jesus wants to, if it's not like Saul on the road to Damascus, he does want to be involved in your life. You know, my, if, I, if I could say Damascus Road, obviously it wasn't. My sinner's prayer at the University of Minnesota when I was a freshman was one word. All I said was yes. But in that yes, Jesus came into my life. He forgave me. He made me go from death into life, from darkness into light. And so I'll get into asking the other questions. Are you an obedient disciple? Are you doing evangelism? But the first question would really be, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And you might be watching online as well. Maybe online you couldn't. I don't know how much you could see of the drone, all that kind of stuff. But the important thing is that God does see you, and God wants to have that loving relationship with you. As a matter of fact, God became a man in Christ Jesus and he lived that perfect, righteous life that we should have lived. He was tempted just as we are. He was rejected. He went through hunger and he went through pain. And then after living a perfect life, he died on the cross in our place. I should have been on the cross, but Jesus died on the cross in our place, rose again on the third day, proving that he is the Son of God. And he offers eternal life. He offers salvation, forgiveness of sins to all those who would receive him put their trust in him, and turn away from their sins. And so even before we get into, you know, are you an obedient disciple? Are you doing evangelism? Have you had a moment with Jesus? And it's all personal. 
God will meet you wherever you are. Let me, just, let me just pause and let me just pray for those who might need to receive Jesus, whether you're right here in the auditorium or whether you're at home, whether you're, you might be watching this later. Let me just pray. Father, I thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus. God, I pray that your grace would be extended right now. Lord, that you would touch those people. Even you touched Saul on the road to Damascus. And you've touched different people. We've heard testimonies about India. We've heard testimonies even about Kentucky. Lord, but right here, we want to have that testimony of salvation that you would touch people. If you need to receive Jesus, just say, Jesus, I need you.